Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the countdown thing. All right, cool. All right, three, two, one. All right. Hello, welcome to Steal These Records. It's a podcast that's about a lot of music that we want you to obtain legally or not, whatever. It's your choice. We're not here to judge. We're just here to recommend. I'm Braden. And I'm Mac. And uh, today we're going to shout out a couple more local artists uh, and talk about a couple albums. I'm going to be talking about the album that you recommended to me, uh, Exile on Mainstream by Matchbox 20. You were pissed. I was real mad whenever you suggested it to me. I I have not liked Matchbox 20 for most of my life. Ah, for most of your life. Well, right. we'll get there. We'll get yeah, there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I, I am going first this time. Oh, that's right. Uh, and I listened to um, Wrath by Lamb of God, which might be the most different from Matchbox 20 that you could possibly possibly get i mean i could suggest more different things though so, you know, i mean just about just yeah relative yeah okay it's i i am uh i, I hate to say it i don't hate matchbox 20 good you're I, you're in, you're in much older and more mature music lover yeah, I I'll have, I have to admit, the last time I gave them a chance was when I was, like, 15, 16. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I, I mean, I was listening, like, pretty much exclusively to, like, metal at that point. Things like, uh, uh, Wrath by Lamb yeah. of God. Yeah, Wrath by Lamb of God. It came out when I was 15. Yeah. <laughs> it came out, like, right when I turned 15, yeah. Yep. Oh, God, it's so good. We'll, we'll talk about Wrath. Yeah, I want to hear about Exile on Mainstream. So, do you want to give the people a little bit of uh, background on what that record is? Sure. Um, although I think you did last week, I'll go ahead and do it. It is uh, a compilation record and basically an EP on top of it. Yeah. So it was released in two thousand seven. I want to say I have the Wikipedia page pulled up here, so we actually can you know cite our shit. It was released on October second, two thousand seven. Um, and it is, uh, it is a compilation album that has a bunch of their hits from like previous albums, mm-hmm. and then it has. Let me see. It has seven new songs on top of it. Although only six make it onto the Spotify recording. There's a song called "Come Dancing" that's only on the iTunes pre-order. Never even heard of it. Yeah, so we'll have to listen to that separately. But it's there. All right. Um, but the new songs are How Far We've Come, I'll Believe You When, All Your Reasons, These Hard Times, If I Fall, Can't Let You Go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a, a whole bunch of hits that literally everyone on Earth has heard before then. Yeah. But remastered. They are all remastered. I mean, they sounded good to begin with, but... The yeah the the, the album sounds production wise mm-hmm. fantastic. It does. I mean it's I, and of course Matchbox Twenty are like one of were one of the biggest bands of the early to mid two thousands. They were in they were enormous successes. I mean multiple number one albums. They were huge. A a uh, 
non insignificant amount of money went into making sure that all of their records were well produced. Absolutely. Like I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised at all if all of their if all of their first few records were like six figure sums at least. Oh no 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 six figures like you could be nobody and a record label would have thrown you six figures in the you know oh, I, mid, I don't, mid 90s. Oh I don't mean like for the marketing or anything. I mean just to record it. No, I mean uh, that's something that I, uh, or not the mid nineties, early two thousands, but anyway, yeah, no, that was kind of the peak of record labels, just throwing insane amount of money at everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, like these records probably costed closer to when you like all told marketing and everything, each record probably costed closer to a million dollars than it did to a hundred thousand. Oh, no doubt. Whenever and if you, and done, so yeah, if you include everything, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt at all if this was a, if this was a seven-figure number. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I have a pros and cons list actually for this album. I started the, to, to format this so we can, you know, have a flow and a point. Okay, I have notes for mine too, so we're we're good, on track. Okay, um, so uh, I, I, I already said one of the pros. The production is fucking insane it's so good mm-hmm. um also the songwriting on every single song is tight everything is intentional everything like nothing is too long nothing is too short everything is exactly as it should be on every song mm-hmm. like it's just g- really great just song crafting it's so good also, every song is gonna get stuck in your head. It's just going to. Like I, I, I realize that was another like intentional thing, but they succeeded. It was like like every single song is so goddamn catchy. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you got something to say? Well, it's just and, and everything that you've said applies to the kind of greatest hits sort of aspect to it as well well sure like it's the whole this this album is really kind of a nice sort of like capstone for their whole career mm-hmm. um another thing I, I noticed i listened to it once in my car and then once uh, with headphones mm-hmm. listening to it with headphones th- there's so much more going on in each of these songs than i realized like because if you listen to it just on the radio, it sounds like there's a guitar and a bass and drums and vocals, basically. Mm-hmm. But like, if you listen to it, you know, through good like good headphones, you're like, oh, there's a piano in the background. Oh, holy shit, there's a mandolin back there. Why is there a harp here? Mm-hmm. All kinds of shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so much like small instrumentation to make everything feel very dense, mm-hmm. and make everything feel very full all the time. Yeah. And. Yeah, it's it's just it fills out sonically really really well. Nothing feels dead. Nothing feels too sparse. It like it all feels very full and very engaging. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now I have to get to the cons. Okay. Um, I still don't like Rob Thomas's voice. Okay, well then then you are truly lost. Um, it's not that he's his pitch is bad. That's fine. Of course not. He's a good singer. He's a he objectively he's a good singer. I just am not a huge fan of his tone and mostly the way he chooses to just like color some words in particular. That's um, 
like it most of the time it's pretty inoffensive like on uh, unwell yeah like most of that's pretty standard singing and that's fine um but on a song like how far we've come he ch- gets a little more creative with the way he pronounces some things and when he starts to do that i don't love it hmm. um another complaint i have is a lot of the songs can start to sound kind of samey Mm-hmm. Like, I there were points when I wasn't looking at what song I was on that I was I just thought I was listening to a seven minute song, but no, I'm just in minute three of the the second song. Yeah, uh, and that that's a problem, and it's a problem for a lot of artists, but it's very much a thing for Matchbox Twenty. Yeah. A lot of their songs sound like Matchbox Twenty songs. Mm-hmm. They definitely have a a thing, like yeah. And on that same note. It sounds like a lot of, like, early 2000s pop rock. Yeah. Which I understand that they help create the blueprint for what that sounds like. Mm-hmm. But just to still recognize that, if you've heard a lot of, like, early, like if you grew up in the late 90s and early 2000s like we did. You've heard a lot of that. Yeah, like, you, you are familiar with this sound. Mm-hmm. And you're not really going to hear anything that's going to deviate super far from that sound. No, like I'm I'm looking at the track list and I'm thinking about like what are the like what are the um the edge cases of kind of the mm-hmm. things on this record and like it's basically this record kind of goes from like if I fall to bent. Yeah. Or maybe push and there's not those the songs are different but they're not that different yeah and that's that's the thing like neither of them would sound like outliers you know if they released that as a side a and side b of a single it wouldn't seem like they made any real hard choices there yeah it like it still sounds like it's coming it could even be from the same album yeah know? absolutely yeah um I, I i listed out three favorite songs for this okay. um number one is 3am okay i like that song a lot mm-hmm. uh number two is mad season yeah it's the jammiest song on this it is absolutely this. the jammiest song and i just i just like when bands do jammy songs and it's it's very much that okay. and it just it it wasn't something that I've heard a lot of from them, so it was kind of refreshing to hear, especially since it was later on in this record, mm-hmm. to just get that bit of a break from the very, very f- focused songwriting of the rest of the record. Yeah. And then uh, the last favorite song is Unwell. So, I, Sorry, go ahead. I just... It's one of the few songs by them that I never really hated, and just listening to it a couple times again confirm that it's it's just a very good song it was written very well you messaged me in the week specifically about real world too yes it is a yeah it is a good song um it, i like and i had a, a top five list but i wanted to get it down to three yeah and real world was on that top five so in just real short, like in just a few words, if if this had just been the EP, if it had just been those first six songs, uh, what would your opinion kind of been of that release? 
Um, I I still would have liked it. Like it, I still I still love how far we've come. Like I like the songwriting of that song really well. I like that it's more frantic than a lot of their other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I would have had the complaint that it lacked sonic diversity in a way. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I really like this. This is kind of um. You know, I, I think I mentioned last week, it's kind of like my ultimate pick-me-up record. Like, I yeah. have a hard time staying unhappy when I listen to this album. Yeah. Um, and How Far We Come is probably the best example of that. It is very... It's, it's, it's frantic, but in a happy way. So, How Far We Come is... I think this is probably true for both of us, but as people who have kind of are just deeply rooted in rock music. Mm-hmm. It's easy to equate energy and heaviness. Right. And how far we come is a really good example. Like how far we come is by no means a heavy song. Like it is the opposite of a heavy song. That song is light as a feather, but it is absolutely energetic. Mm-hmm. It's almost what you could describe as like an effervescent song. Yeah, like uh, uh, an evanescent song. What? No, nope. N- the different. <laughs> no, the opposite of that. Um, no. Those are all heavy. Evanescence is actually a really good example of a lot of music that is heavy without being terribly energetic. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, how far we come though? Like, I that is a song I can just get down to anytime. I listened to that song like five times. It's real good. Uh, I have a whole playlist. Um, what's it called? Oh, I don't remember. Um, that is all just like, you know, when I'm bummed out, I'll listen to sad music because that's just a thing you do. Right. But eventually something clicks where you kind of decide I'm kind of done being bummed out, but you're not quite not bummed out anymore. Uh, I get that feeling a lot, yeah. And I have I have a whole playlist that's just for that, that kind of... There was this song and a Frank Turner song that I would kind of use for that, and I decided to kind of build a whole playlist around him. So this mm. is what this record is for, for me. It serves okay. a very specific purpose. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree, I agree with most of your uh, opinions about the whole thing and about the EP. Um, I would have a really hard time picking even a couple of songs out of the whole list that are my favorites, just because uh, I am a really big Matchbox 20 fan, and I have been for a long time. And I actually am a pretty big Rob Thomas fan on his own. So. Yeah. To his credit, Rob Thomas is a great songwriter. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a basic white bitch. What can I what can I say? There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, <laughs> you're a white guy in his twenties with a beard who wears flannel a lot. Of course, you're gonna like Rob Thomas. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many twenty something white guys with beards would agree with you on that, but you could definitely apply. more than you would. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, but overall, yeah, I, I, I did like the album a lot. Uh, a lot more than I thought I would. I, I thought you were assigning it to me to punish me. No. <laughs> I forgot that you didn't like it, and that record makes me so happy that I was like, I want to share this with Brayden. So I'm glad. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Like, now it is absolutely one of those records that is. Um, it's. It, I listen to it mostly at work in order to like kind of pump me up so I don't feel so down sometimes. Yeah, it's good. 
is good for that. Yeah, I, I love it. So now to uh, to take a real sharp left turn, uh, let's <laughs> talk about wrath. Because I all right, I have some opinions. I would like to hear them. Okay. Um, let me see. I wrote lots of stuff. I'm trying to figure out. I think I'm going to kind of go a little bit of track by track before I give you kind of my overall on the record. So, um, okay. I have, I have the track list pulled up. Yeah. Let me get, let me get the track list up. Um, there we go. Um, so I found there's sort of a middle section in this record that I thought was really strong. Um, I think the first real notable thing I really enjoyed, uh, you know, no, I'm going to, I'm going to change my mind and say, I'm going to give you the overall first. Cause it makes more sense now that I'm trying to think about it. Uh, so this record, okay. I, I thought, I think there's a lot of merit to it. And I think if you're really into, uh, just like definitional metal, this is a very good record for you, you know? Um, okay. But, but as kind of a, if I'm being a, a kind of a critic with it, um, I think that uh, this record also can be kind of samey um, as it goes through it. There are a lot of moments where they kind of tease getting outside of sort of the lines of, of what this record is. Uh, and then they never really uh, commit to it. They never really deliver on, on those things. Um, like there's the one long kind of clean section, uh, at the beginning of grace, which sounds like every other clean break and every other like mid two thousands metal record. Um, but there were a few things that I really liked about it. So for the most part, uh, I found the lyrics kind of forgettable. Like just, it's mostly just like your standard issue, like, uh, edgy metal platitudes. Uh, but, um, I did find the lyrics for contractor to be, uh, really good. Um, awesome lyrics. The song had an awesome arrangement. That song was really like trying to say something that you couldn't, mm -hmm. you couldn't sum up in a sentence, you know, uh, like that song really used its space, the length of the song really well, musically and lyrically. Um, you know, it's kind of a whole thing about the Iraq, the war in Iraq, basically. Um, and it's really good. There was a lot of like punk and metal bands around 2008, 2009, where, uh, basically, uh, Bush left office, Obama came in and then they all switched to like save the planet rock music, uh, and less like angry political stuff. Um, which, kind of uh i think shows that they cared more about the sort of the identity politics than they did about what actually happened because th the actions of the united states government didn't change that much from one president to the next and this song really is it's not really political in terms of like you'd be hard pressed to say that that song is terribly liberal or conservative or whatever it's just mad about things that are happening um, 
I know there's a lot of uh, religious imagery on this record, um, which I did really enjoy because it was varied. It wasn't just like Christian imagery that would be really familiar to most Americans. Um, there's a lot of references to uh, Islam and I think there's some other stuff in there too. Um, I say that as a American who's not familiar with things, so I had to look stuff up, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that was really interesting to me. And they don't really um, betray any kind of uh, um, preference on religion, you know? So I don't know if the um, lyricist or lyricists, whoever writes the songs, uh, is religious. I do know that in this kind of metal scene, there's a lot more religious people than you would think if you didn't know otherwise. I know you're aware of that because you're very much into this stuff, but yeah. And that's, that's the thing. I was going to say like, no, there's a ton, but I'm very much in the metal scene. So of course I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like metal is just about the only sort of subgenre where, uh, like the Christian metal scene and the just regular metal scene are not wholly separate and there's not a strong divide between them. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's and, and with this record, I have no idea where they fall into that, if they fall anywhere in particular, but there's definitely a variety of religious imagery. So I liked contractor a lot for the lyrics and the arrangement. Um, I think fake Messiah was my favorite song in the record in terms of just riffage. Like, I love everything that every guitar does in that uh, in that song all the time. Real good. Um, I th and then I just had little notes. Uh, Broken Hand sounds super, like, in the vein of that mid-early 2000s metalcore thing. Like, Broken Hand could have easily been a, a Switchfoot, or not Switchfoot, uh, <laughs> it could not have been a Switchfoot song. Not have been a switch, I'm thinking about Christian rock music now. Uh, Kill Switch Engage could have easily been a Kill Switch Engage song, and I wouldn't have even known. Uh, and then uh, Everything to Nothing was just a Metallica song, like that. Like it could have been on um, uh, Puppets. Like it could have been on Master of Puppets. It was a real good song, though. It was good. It was real good. I was one of my favorites, uh, but I didn't have a whole lot to say about it because every time I would try to think of something, my brain just kept going Metallica, Metallica. So that was fun. Uh, the last song, Reclamation, I think could have been my favorite, but it really highlighted what I think my biggest gripe about this record is. Okay. Um, this song is probably um, the whole record is, is an undeniable victim of the loudness wars. And it kind of opened my eyes to some of my complaints about full circle last week. Yeah. Um, where a lot of the tones and the, like the way the drum sounded or whatnot that, I, that bothered me on full circle. Uh, this one isn't quite so bad, but I'm definitely hearing that. And I'm realizing that a lot of these are decisions that are made in terms of like just pushing that loudness ceiling, you know, as hard sure. as you can. Um, a lot of records that came out around that time are just victims of that sound. Yeah, and uh, just to go back to Matchbox 20, you were talking about how there's all the little details in there. Um, mm -hmm. And that's kind of the the more natural, organic way of doing the loudness wars, is you just fill all the spaces. Uh, the, the way that most rock and metal um, producers got around the loudness wars was you just 
compress the crap out of everything. Um, and so on Reclamation, there was a really interesting arrangement. Uh, and there were all these little things that I could kind of tell were happening in the background. But in order for me to turn it up loud enough to hear it, it just hurt. And I still mm. couldn't quite make out the details. Um, which if, if you're a person who doesn't know a lot about like music production or um, audio in general and you hear us complaining about this and you don't know what I'm talking about, Really, when you say, well, what is it when something's loud or overcompressed? That's kind of what it is, is you just, like, you can hear everything, but things are, things that are in the background are just kind of fuzzy, and if you turn it up loud enough to try to hear them, they don't really get any clearer. It just hurts. Yeah. Um, and this song may have been awesome, uh, but it was just totally trashed by the compression and whatnot, which... Uh, this whole record, and it kind of made me go back and just listen to some snippets of some other, some other stuff and realize that uh, this record may have been a lot better before mastering, you know, because um, there is some stuff happening in the mix, but, um, you know, then in mastering, it just got squashed to hell and you couldn't hear it anymore, which is kind of the conventional wisdom around how the loudness wars worked. Uh, it's not actually always the case. Uh, a lot of the mm-hmm. that are like the worst examples, they were like every step of the process was part of the problem. You know, like death magnetic was ruined at tracking. You know, yeah. They we're tracking it in terms of like, how do we make things uh, as loud as possible? You know, and then the mix reinforced it, and then the mastering actually tried to save it and just couldn't. Um, there's also a lot of stuff where, like, the first five seconds of a song would be really interesting, like some really compelling noise or riff or tone, and then the band would come in, and where you expect things to get louder, that first five seconds was already pushed to the ceiling, so everything else has to come down when the band comes in, and it just kind of deflates the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of little things that I think could have been really good. So, um, I actually am really interested in going back and listening to some newer lamb of God, um, just to see where they've gone from here. Cause this was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, their newest record is Sturm und Drang. Yeah. Uh, it is really good. It has my favorite lamb of God song on it actually. Okay. I'm going to have to listen to it because this record was definitely good enough to give me reason to want to try to find more and listen to more. So yeah, it wasn't a bad album. It just, there were enough things that kind of bothered me throughout the whole thing that I had a hard time really enjoying it. Sure. I I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, What do you think, or what do you feel was the standout instrument on the record? Oh, this is a guitar record. 100%. Really, I feel differently. Like, there are moments... I mean, or the voice. Um, I feel totally differently. But, like, the drums are kind of small, and the bass, like, you can hear it Mm. in some spots, which is more than you can say for a lot of this kind of metal. Right. um, What what did you think? I think the drums are the standout track, are the standout instrument on the record. Not in terms of... Not in terms of their placement in the mix. Yeah. But in terms of, there are other instruments that are sometimes doing some doing things that are not super interesting. Mm-hmm. 
every time I pay attention to the drums, they're always doing something different, something that you wouldn't expect them to be doing. I may have to go back and listen. Is there a track that you would recommend I listen to kind of with that in mind? Um, I had to pick something out. If I had to pick something, I would probably say... Um, Choke Sermon, probably. Okay, I'll go back and listen to Choke Sermon again and see, see if that enlightens me in any way. I'll yeah, just... Ahead. Yeah. Just like a lot of the very conventional metal things that you would expect a drummer to be doing in certain parts, he just does something else. Like where you would expect a drummer to really be riding the china, he's doing he's hitting the splash symbol. Mm-hmm. There, there was a lot of stuff. Like uh, every time I try to listen to the drums, all I could think is that snare drum sounds like shit. D- you have to ignore the mix. Yeah. And I, I, I've, I'm getting better at being able to do that, but the mix has to not be. The mix has to be good enough to where I hear something that makes me realize that I need to ignore the mix and check it out. Right. And I was able to do that with the guitars because uh, I'm just I'm a guitar player and I think there's a lot of really good just metal riffs in this record. But yeah, uh, but uh, just to not scare people away from this record, mm-hmm. um, you are a producer. You're a recording engineer. Yeah. So there are things that you're going to pick up in the mix that like the average person is not going to pick up. Mm-hmm. Like I can hear the same problems that you do in this mix, but just not to the same degree that you do because I don't know the mechanics behind some of it. Yeah, I try to not, I, and this may be shocking to anybody who's actually talked to me, uh, but I really do make an effort to not be Mister Producer Man every time I listen to music. Mm. And and to be completely clear, like I am by no means like an accomplished producer of any sort. Um, but it's, it's something that I, I work towards and I spend a lot of time thinking about. And, um, yeah. Th- th- I do catch myself being that pretentious know-it-all who is like, well, this, this album is over-compressed, therefore it is garbage. Like, I try to avoid it, but I can't always. And, but at the same time, it's hard to not hear what you hear. Yeah, and that's really the thing, is it's just like, I went to school at ACM, and I was in the opposite position for a long time, where people would have these really in-depth conversations about the sounds of things, and I was like, I can't hear what you're talking about, but I'm gonna pretend I do. Uh, And then I listened to a lot of music, and I produced some stuff, and I recorded some stuff, and I read some things and learned some things, until eventually I kind of, I got it. Um, and, uh, you know, now it's a curse that I have to live with, but it's also a blessing that I have to live with. <laughs> so anyway, that's wrath. Not bad. Yeah. So, so there's wrath. Yeah. Now moving on to the local music section of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Mac, do you have any local music to shout out this week? Um, kind of, uh, I've got a couple of things. I did get to go see um, uh, Crowbone. How are those dudes? Uh, Crowbone was incredible. Uh, they were already very drunk by the time they got on stage. They played last, so they went on stage at like midnight. Um, okay. And they were there for all the other bands. They're good. Uh, they were headlining the show, and they're they're great kind of hosts and. 
that's what you should do if you're in a local band and other people are opening up for you is you should, if you can, you know, see their show. But if it's at all possible, they were awesome. They put on an incredible show. Um, they were great with the crowd and all that. Um, they did listen to our podcast and their bass player did kind of corner me and give me an earful about, um, whatever it was, fire chariot or whatever it is. I don't remember. (laughs) The song is yeah. too long. Yeah. <laughs> I got to meet the guy who produced the record, and he agrees with us that the song is too long. But uh, he, the, the bass player kind of gave me the lowdown on what the story is and why they felt like they couldn't cut it down any. And Sure. What was, what was up? Um, I mean, basically, the lyrics are a whole story, and it's just chock full of metaphor. And uh, okay. it's also something that they wrote like the singer wrote it a long time ago, um, which makes it kind of more personal in a way. I get you. You know, and, and to be and to be clear, like we're just two random jerk offs. Like if you if you don't agree with our assessment of your song, whatever, that's fine. It's your song. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I kind of get it too because if I. There are songs that I wrote a long time ago that I know are objectively worse than most things that I write now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are newer songs that I, I know are better. But if somebody was like, I'm going to critique this new song, I'd be like, that's fine. Because I'm in a headspace as an artist where I can kind of handle that. But if somebody went now and they decided to critique a song that I wrote seven years ago, I'd probably be a lot more sensitive about it. Really? I think something about that, like... I think it would kind of put me back in that headspace headspace I was in when I when I wrote it. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know. It's just kind of a feeling that I have to where I kind of I can sympathize a little bit with being a little protective of a song like that. But uh, I'm the opposite. Um, if somebody wanted to critique like the EP I put out when I was fucking 19, whatever, that's fine. Um, I don't care. I, I'm a different person than I was when I wrote those songs. That's fine. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to critique the stuff that I'm putting out now, I'd probably be a little sore about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just different. I think I've learned to be a lot more constructive with giving and receiving critique about things. Sure. Like, I don't take things as personally, but uh, I also don't take things as personally when I'm writing them. Even if yeah. from a real place, whereas, you know, four or five or six years ago, like, I took everything I wrote very, very personally. Right. And the, and I think maybe that's just a, a difference in writing styles at this point, because, like, all, like, the my lyrics in general are extremely raw and very personal. Yeah. Like, mine are not very metaphorical. They're very, like, this is legitimately, like, this is this is my headspace. This is what I'm feeling yeah. in a song. Yeah, my kind of whole process for writing for the last few years has been, like, take something that is very personal and very real to me and then, like, wrap it up in a metaphor that I think is really nice. And at mm. that point, people aren't really critiquing. It's not like they're they're giving a critique of my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what I feel like whenever if like whenever somebody critiques like a new song of mine is yeah. like you're critiquing my feelings and I'm not okay with that. Yep. Which I totally get. Yeah, I but yeah, just just to be clear, like again, 
Dudes and Crowbone, if 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 you happen to listen to this to this episode, I'm just a random jerk off. If you like your song, that's cool. I don't like you don't have to to care whether or not I like the song. We also may want to just cut our losses on the Crowbone conversation because I don't know. Uh, I, I you know just to reinforce, we thought the record was amazing. Like still, yeah, of course, local albums ever. They put on one of my favorite local shows. One of my favorite local bands broke up recently, and I think Crowbone is in a very good position to kind of fill the void, uh, which they should. Yeah, so that's uh, cool. I'm a big fan. Um, their producer gave me a T-shirt. I don't know if he uh, bought one or if they just had some extras or whatever, but uh, it was real cool. So. Cool guys, awesome show. Uh, the thing that I actually wanted to talk about, just real briefly, uh, there's sure. a band from Boston, I think. They're they're an indie band, but they're kind of you know a little more of a farther along the path indie band uh, called Ripe. I went and saw them um, yesterday, yeah, last night. Um, and they kicked ass, and they were the coolest guys in the world. Um, oh, awesome! My band, we cover one of their songs, and we basically just uh, spammed them on social media, seeing if they would play it because they hadn't played it at all the whole tour. Uh, and then uh, they played it. Which was oh, cool. that's that, that's really cool. Yeah, um, we got to meet them, and they were real cool guys. So, uh, again, if you haven't heard Crowbone yet, check out Crowbone. If you're in the Oklahoma City area, uh, go see them. Um, they are playing in Norman on Saturday. Uh, I don't actually think I'm going to be able to make that show now. I've got. I might. You should. I've got all kinds. Of, I think I have a Dr. Pants show, actually. Um, uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you should. If you can come up, maybe. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, they're awesome. Go see them uh, by the record and then ripe. Check out ripe. So that's. That's my way too long diatribe on uh, <laughs> one show and one band that I spent the last fifteen minutes talking about. So there you go. You're, you're good, man. <laughs> uh, I'm actually I, my local shout out is actually an OKC band. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, my shout out is for the band Crazy Love Hawk. Oh yeah, I like Crazy Love Hawk. You turned me on to them a long time ago. Yeah, my dude Sean's in it. Yeah. Is in that band. Uh, he's done a lot of different stuff for them. Uh, he's been a guitarist. He's been their drummer. He's been their vocalist. But it's 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 him and some other guys from like the local Oklahoma City music scene, like the metal scene in that area. And describing their music is real difficult, mm-hmm. um, because it's like progressive gent easy core. Imagine if Periphery and a Day to Remember became a band. Together. No, I get it. I get it. Uh, uh, I would rec- sorry, sorry. I, would, I would recommend checking out the song Calypso. It's really good. Is that an older uh, one? I think that. Yeah, it, it's an older one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've known Sean forever. He produced a lot of my stuff whenever I was doing more metal music. Uh, the song about the crap people. Yeah, he did. You should plug that, by the way, because it's real cool. The you want me to plug my song? Yeah, I don't remember what it's called or where to find it or whatever. Okay, but it's real cool. Uh, on YouTube, check out. Uh, it's by Crustacean Death March. That's right. And the song is called Seeking Shelter. It's a song that I did uh, about three years ago now. 
and Mac sings part of the chorus, and then I did everything else. My vocals sound real bad, but but they they do not. Hey, I played the the bass for the last like sixteen bars too. Oh, I'm proud of you. I forgot you did that. You couldn't. You couldn't do it. I'm okay. For reference, it was a right-handed bass. I am a left-handed man. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's not that I just couldn't have played the part. It's that it's hard to do that on an intricate part. You you couldn't do it right-handed. You're right. I couldn't at all. It's because most of that song, the bass was all on one string, and then at the end, you had to have two strings, and it just wasn't working anymore. Yeah, and that's you know whatever. It's, it's a good song, though. I enjoyed uh, being there for the recording of it. So, yeah. I got to do a real shreddy solo, so if you would like to hear that. Mm-hmm. Just to put me back in my place, I was supposed to record that solo. And, and then you couldn't. I could not. Like I just was so far out of my league. So, <laughs> I'm a shreddier guitarist than you are, though. Yep. I would say you 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 are a better overall guitarist, but I am much faster. We don't we don't need to have. I don't know if we've had this conversation on the pod, but we've had this conversation. <laughs> In real, we I, I think the thing is like we both have things that the other person values as a guitarist. Yeah, that which means. is which is the thing. Which is good. Mac. Yeah. Do you know what time it is? Oh no! <laughs> it's time for this podcast is brought to you by. Uh. You forgot about it, didn't you, motherfucker? Welcome back to the segment. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by Mid-2000s Pop Rock. Mid-2000s Pop Rock. You know the sound. Uh, This podcast is brought to you by... The, the grudge? Sure. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by The Loudness War. The Loudness War, making great records sound okay from 1990 to 2010. Yeah, so that's about right. I mean, whatever, it's roughly the amount. Stop yeah. critiquing my joke! We can have a fight about that another time. <laughs> Okay, so now that we've established you don't have anything. No, I don't. We are on to our recommendation section. Do you got something for me? Um, I, do, I haven't had you do any Frank Turner for this record, have you? Uh, no, you've not. Oh, I was going to have you do the Ripe record just as a continuation in my trying to get you to like jazz thing, but... Uh, God damn it. I had a last-minute change of heart. So I kept talking about how um, Exile on Mainstream is kind of my uh, pick-me-up record. Like when sure. I'm sad and I decide I'm done being sad and so I'm going to listen to something not sad. So there's an album by Frank Turner called Tape Deck Heart, which is the exact opposite of that. This is my go-to record when I am sad and I want to listen to sad things. Uh, Tape Deck Heart. Yeah, and sometimes it's my record when I'm not sad and for some inexplicable reason I want to be sad. Uh, I, I get that, though. Yeah, there is, there is... Not every song in this record is super depressing. Um, and it's not anywhere near the same kind of depressing as, like... Uh, 
fucking like Julian Baker stuff. Mm-hmm. It's different, but um, I think it's a little bit more of like a punk rock kind of sad. Uh, okay. Like Frank Turner was a guy. He was he was a singer in a handful of different like underground punk bands in the UK. Uh, for a while. And then at some point he decided he was done being angry all the time, uh, and quit all of his bands and went and rode just like trains around the UK and busked everywhere. That's fucking cool. And then like started a new career as like a acoustic singer songwriter guy. And tape deck heart is probably his most rock and roll record since he made that shift came out in 2013. So, Tape Deck Heart, Frank Turner. That's my recommendation. Okay. Um, I'm kind of between two for you because I was going to give you another really downbeat, sad album. I mean, I'm down for whatever. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that because I just recommended you a metal album and I don't want to make this just about like really heavy rock. (laughs) Okay. Um, I was going to recommend you uh, a 68 album. No. Don't they just have like one record or they have they, they have two. Okay. I've probably heard it, but it's yeah, we've been a few weeks, but let's do the other yeah. one. What, what are we going to do? The album that I'm going to recommend to you this week is Stranger in the Alps by P- by Phoebe Bridgers. Okay. I keep hearing this name and I have yet to listen to any Phoebe Bridgers besides the Boy Genius thing. Yeah. Um she is a friend of Julian Baker. Yeah. Uh, Kind of in the same vein, but not exactly the same. Her lyricism is very different. Like, uh, Julian Baker stuff is much more metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Like, it's got, it's, you know, it is very raw, but it's got more to it. A lot of her lyrics come off as, like, slam poetry. Yeah. And uh, Phoebe Bridgers is very different from that. Are they more Uh, songy? No, they're they're not at all. It sounds like she's talking. Oh, okay. So maybe even more slam poetry esque. No, like it. Lit- it doesn't sound poetic. It literally sounds like she's talking. Okay. Well, I'll give it a I'll give it a listen. Like some stuff sounds like it should be lyrics, but most of it just sounds like somebody wrote down things that happened. Ooh, yeah. And it's really cool. Um, she's a lot more chill than Julian Baker is. Like she's, like Julian Baker has like a dramaticism to her. Gotcha. That uh, Phoebe Bridgers doesn't have. She's much more chill, much more like folk oriented. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'm excited because the last song is the first song reprise. Yeah, that's always that's always a good sign. I mean, someone put some thought into something. I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts are on her vocal production. Yeah, I'm down. She double tracks everything. Yeah, like ev- absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. It's real cool. I like it. It gives a, it gives all the music a very certain vibe, but it's I, I don't know, it's it's going to be different depending on what your preferences are. Yeah. All right. I think that's just about all we've got for this week. That's about it. All right. Do we do anything for the end of this podcast anymore? I forgot. I thought we did something last time, but we're not doing this stupid random bullshit like we used to. Yeah, I mean, the stupid random bullshit was funny, but it's not super conducive, and I think it's kind of a dumb bit. No, I think we'll just say uh, thanks for listening. All right, uh, here's music. Enjoy.
Bye.